As a pastoral counselor, I have worked with sexual abuse victims for 30 years now. So today, I want to share some insights on the issue of sexual abuse. And if you or someone you know has been sexually abused, then listen carefully. Welcome to the Quick Counsel Podcast, where we will give you a simple and practical understanding of counseling issues and how they might apply to your life. Here's your host, pastoral counselor, Brett Legg. As I said, I've been working with sexual abuse victims for 30 years, so I know that sexual abuse is a delicate and it's a complicated topic that can't be thoroughly covered in just a short podcast. But today, I just want to give you an overview of sexual abuse. Hopefully, this podcast will give sexual abuse victims and those who love them a starting point to understand how the abuse has affected them and what they need to do about it. So let's start with a definition of sexual abuse. When it comes to sexual abuse in general, the American Psychological Association defines sexual abuse as unwanted sexual activity with perpetrators using force, making threats, or taking advantage of victims not able to give consent. When it comes specifically to the sexual abuse of a child, the Stop It Now organization says this, All sexual touching between an adult and a child is sexual abuse. Sexual touching between children can also be sexual abuse when there's a significant age difference, often defined as three or more years, between the children, and when there's a difference between the children developmentally or size-wise. Sexual abuse does not have to involve penetration, force, pain, or even touching. If an adult engages in any sexual behavior, looking, showing, or touching with a child to meet the adult's interest or sexual needs, it is sexual abuse. Now, most of us have a good idea of what sexual abuse is, but what we're not so sure about is how sexual abuse affects a person. Though each victim and each experience is unique, there are some responses that are often common to all sexual abuse victims. So let's take a look at some of those. First, sexual abuse makes it hard to trust. Often the perpetrator of sexual abuse is someone the victim knew or trusted. Someone like a parent, grandparent, family member, coach, teacher, pastor, priest, friend of the family, or someone you just thought was a friend. When someone you thought was trustworthy violates that trust in such a vile and injurious way, it can lead you to believe that no one can be trusted. Sexual abuse creates an unhealthy need for control. When someone is being sexually abused, they are not in control of their circumstances or even their own body. So consequently, those feelings of not being in control are linked with feelings of threat and danger. Something goes off in the victim's mind that says, as soon as I can, I'm going to take control of myself and my situation so that I never get hurt like this again. And so everything they do is an attempt to control and to prevent something bad from happening to them. They may resist leaving their child at a sitter. Now, this can also be a trust issue, as we talked about before. They may scan the room, making sure that they know where the exits are. Maybe they sleep facing the door. They take the dominant position or the dominant role with their sex partner. They insist on being self-sufficient, even apart from a spouse. They avoid things they're unsure of. The list goes on and on. It's amazing the things that we will do to have a sense of control. But the problem with this is that none of us have complete control over anything, even including what happens to us. 
We cannot completely control our spouses, our kids, our friends, or our circumstances. And so consequently, the sexual abuse victim is in a constant state of alert and fear. Which leads us to the next thing that sexual abuse does to a person. Sexual abuse can amplify the fight, flight, or freeze response to difficulties. There's a part of our brain known as the amygdala. This is the part of the brain that responds to danger or perceived danger. When it senses danger, it moves us into a fight, flight, or freeze response to cope with that danger. Now, as I said, sexual abuse victims often live in a state of fear and high alert. They can view most anything as a threat, leaving them in a constant amplified state of fight, flight, or freeze, even if the threat is just perceived and not real. This is one reason why they can be easily and overly startled. Now, because of this, the sexual abuse victim finds it very difficult to just relax and enjoy what's going on around them. Another thing, sexual abuse can fuel depression, anxiety, and an ongoing underlying level of anger. To say that sexual abuse can fuel a person's depression, anxiety, and anger may seem like a no-brainer. But because the sexual abuse is in the past, it can be easy to overlook it as the core to the depression and anxiety and anger you may be feeling. But when you start connecting the dots between the present triggers and the past experiences, then it's easy to see how past experiences can fuel these present emotions. Sexual abuse also leads to checking out when you feel uncomfortable. Often, when a person who has been sexually abused encounters some difficult situation or difficult emotion or trigger, you'll see them sort of lose focus, maybe stare off into space, kind of check out. Then, when you call them back, it's clear that they weren't paying attention. They were somewhere else. Well, this is a form of dissociation. It's a way of disconnecting emotionally from the difficulty they're experiencing. This is often used as a survival tactic during the abuse to help them get through an emotionally, physically, and overwhelming situation. The problem is, that tactic carries on into adulthood and becomes an automatic, unconscious response to any perceived difficulty. Other forms of dissociation or checking out can involve substance abuse, cutting, promiscuity, staying overly busy, anything that will disconnect you from experiencing the uncomfortable. Sexual abuse also leaves blanks or gaps in your memory. This can tie in with the idea of dissociation. Many sexual abuse survivors report gaps in their memory, especially around the time of the abuse. They might remember their childhood up to a certain point, and then it jumps to later in life, as if there's a portion of their memory that's been erased. Now, memories are fragile things and can easily be manipulated and altered, so just having a gap in your memory doesn't mean you've suffered some sort of abuse. But when children experience sexual abuse, they can be so overwhelmed by the fear and the pain of all that's going on that their brain just shuts down to spare them from the traumatic event. For adults, they may remember everything up to when the perpetrator started abusing them, but then they're unable to recall the details of what happened. Sexual abuse makes it difficult to recognize and regulate emotions. Many times, I will be talking with a sexual abuse survivor, and I can see that they're experiencing some sort of deep emotion. Maybe their jaw is clenched, or their eyes are tearing up, or their complexion is turning red and blotchy, or they're shaking, or they're white-knuckling the arm of the chair. Yet, when I ask them what they're feeling, they will look at me with a blank look on their face and say, I don't know. Sexual abuse victims have shoved down and avoided their painful emotions for so long that they don't even recognize them anymore. 
even though these emotions are clearly affecting them. Or a sexual abuse survivor may have trouble regulating their emotions. They feel things in big and overwhelming ways, which turns into coming out in big and overwhelming behaviors. This comes from feeling things as they did as a child and years of emotional suppression. As the person works through the trauma, they will learn to both recognize and regulate their emotions. Sexual abuse interferes with relationships. As you would imagine, because of all that we've mentioned so far, it's not hard to see how sexual abuse and its effects can wreak havoc on a relationship. The difficulties with trust, the need for control, the heightened and unchecked emotional response, the checking out, all of this can make having a secure, lasting relationship difficult. You can boil it down to intimacy. We all long to have an intimate relationship with someone. In fact, I believe that's part of how we were created. But sexual abuse is an abuse that takes place in the context of intimacy, physical, emotional, sexual. So closeness and intimacy become triggers for fear and danger. This leaves the sexual abuse victim trying to navigate a safe closeness, quote-unquote. They bring someone close to a point. But then it feels fearful because it feels like they're getting too close and they're getting close enough to hurt them. And then they will push that person away physically or emotionally. But then it feels like they're losing the person. So out of fear, they start pulling the person closer. This tug of war is exhausting and maddening for both people in the relationship. Sexual abuse fosters sexual problems and aversions. It goes without saying that sexual abuse will create sexual problems, even in a loving and safe relationship. It may not be apparent in the beginning of the relationship, in the honeymoon phase, when both are excited by the newness and and trying to do everything they can to hold on to what they found. But problems will arise later. Maybe it happens when they're getting too comfortable, or at least comfortable enough to let down their guard and, and want new things. Maybe it happens when they have children, and that triggers it. Maybe it happens when your partner does something to trigger you and you can't ignore it or avoid it anymore. This is especially hard for the partners of sexual abuse victims because it feels like they're being put in the position of the perpetrator. Whatever it may be, a sexual abuse history will cause sexual problems in a current relationship. Some signs might be an obvious and ongoing aversion to sex, checking out during sex, a need to always be in control during sex, a let's hurry up and get this over with approach to sex, an over-the-top or angry reaction to a certain approach or act, and occasionally, though not common, an uncontrollable appetite for sex. Sex is difficult enough for couples to navigate in normal circumstances, but a history of sexual abuse can throw a grenade in the middle of the whole sexual relationship. And finally, sexual abuse can make spirituality and faith difficult or even unwanted. For a person of faith, sexual abuse can rock their faith to its core. The abuse survivor can't help but deal with questions like, why would God allow this to happen, especially to an innocent child? Now, if you're expecting me to give you a clean, clear-cut answer to this, I can't. It's a question that continues to beg answers. And even after 30 years of counseling sexual abuse victims, I still wrestle with this question. And though I have some thoughts on it, even if I had the theologically correct answer, it wouldn't feel good enough because it wouldn't take away the hurt, the damage done to the victim. 
On top of that, it is extremely hard to relate to God as a heavenly father if your earthly father was your abuser. So sexual abuse can rock and even rob a person of their faith unless they're willing to work through it, just like they have to work through everything else. You can take a look at the biblical book of Job for an example of someone who had to work through their issues of who is God and can I really trust him. Those are some effects of sexual abuse. Now, let me give you a couple of things to remember. First, the above issues can occasionally plague anyone, including those without a history of sexual abuse. That can make it hard for the victim to know if they're experiencing something normal or if it has to do with their abuse. So the key here is that sexual abuse intensifies and prolongs such responses to an unhealthy state. I often say that sexual abuse takes something normal and turns up the volume to 10. Second thing I want you to remember is sexual abuse victims will often compare their abuse to others' abuse, and consequently they'll minimize their abuse if it wasn't quote-unquote as bad as someone else's. But you need to understand that despite the type and the duration of the abuse, the response to abuse is the same for all victims. I'll tell the people I work with, your abuse experience may not seem as bad as someone else's, but remember that your worst experience is just that, your worst experience. What should you do if you've been sexually abused? My guess is the answer that's coming is going to feel like a letdown to those who've been sexually abused. But the answer is simple. If you've been sexually abused, you need to do two things. You need to, one, stop avoiding it, and two, seek help for it. I told you that it'd feel like a letdown, but as I said before, sexual abuse is a very complicated, life-entrenched issue. There are no easy answers or no quick fixes. If avoiding it could bring about a fix, you wouldn't have this problem because that's what most sexual abuse victims do, avoid it. And if you could have fixed things yourself, you would have already done so. This is something that requires qualified help and time to walk through and to walk out of. But I can tell you this, it will be worth all of the time and all of the effort to reclaim your life and your freedom from this hurtful past. And now a final word. This is a very sticky, very difficult topic to talk about. And it is not an easy one to decipher. But I have seen people reclaim their life after horrible events of sexual abuse in their life. Not only that, I've seen them grow and mature to a point where they could pour themselves into helping someone else who had experienced something similar. And I've seen them have successful, meaningful, full lives. But I've seen others stay trapped and buried underneath grief and hurt and fear and all the other things we mentioned. So the choice will be up to you. You can choose which path you follow. Neither path is easy, but one path leads you to hope and possibilities and new life, while the other path keeps you stuck. Which will you choose? Hey, thanks for joining us. I know this podcast was a little longer than most of them, but this is an important topic and it just takes a while to cover everything. But if you are someone who's been sexually abused or you know and love someone who's been sexually abused, listen to this again. Send it to someone who can benefit from it. This is an important issue in our day and time. 
I hope you'll check out more from me at brentleg.com. That's one T and two G's. I also hope you'll kind of take a look at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. I'm there on all of those platforms. But remember, look around. Chances are you know someone who's been sexually abused. You just don't know it. Thanks for joining us today for Quick Counsel. This podcast is meant to give you a simple understanding of counseling issues and is in no way intended as a substitute for professional counseling or therapy. If you feel you need further help, please contact a local counselor, therapist, or physician. Thanks for listening, and we hope you will join us for the next episode of Quick Counsel.